0: We're a mission-minded church, yo. I am so thrilled with the emphasis of this month, and especially getting to see our own young people and their stories from their missions trip. Monique did a great job. She was scared to death. She practiced and rehearsed on every one of us pastors and our spouses, I think, and uh Just got ready for you today, and we prayed for in our prayer time this morning. They're just thrilled with what God's done in their heart and what God's going to do next year. Would you stand with your Bibles in hand as we continue the the, uh, missions theme today? Missions and me. And while you find Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to go back to that passage. We were in it just a few weeks ago coming at it from a little different angle today, Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to be reading from, uh, it'll be on the screen if you don't have the same translation from the New King James Version, and uh, it's a great, great uh, narrative of the call of a man to be a prophet of God in the Old Testament, and in essence, it was a mission's call. A man who was willing to say, here am I. Send me the Jarkis, Sarah Dutcher, Monique, I'd pronounce her last name if I could. <laughs> they said, here am I, Sent me. And today is your chance, church, to say the same thing. In my Bible college days, I asked the Lord to send me to the Congo. He had a different plan than that. But missions has always been on my heart. I love to go and want to go and have been to the mission field. And I pray by the end of this service you'll say, me too. I want to go. If you want, Lord, send me. Having said that, many are not aware that missions is not just something for the church in the New Testament. Missions is as old as the fall of man. In the garden, God declared the message in really parabolic or image form when he said to that first man and woman while he was cursing them for their failure, judging them. For their failure, he said to them, if you listen carefully and remember the story, he said to them, The serpent I will judge forever. He will bruise the heel of the seed of woman. But the seed of woman shall crush the head of the serpent. And that's the first message, the first time the mission's message was declared. Christ would one day come and crush the head of the evil one. And that would become the core, the message, the gospel, the good news that we as a church have the privilege of declaring. But wait a minute. Missions didn't start with us, nor nor was it completed in the garden and just sort of left in the interval between the church and the garden. God called to himself a man... Abram, remember him? I'm checking to see if you're here. Remember him? Abram left the Ur of the Chaldees. And God said, go, go to a land that I will show you. And ultimately, God said, I will build you a nation more numerous than the stars of the heavens. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Why, God, are you going to build a nation from Abraham that we know from this end of the story is Israel? Why are you going to do it? God gave the answer when he gave the blessing the call. And here's his answer. So that you might be a light to the nations. That sounds like missions to me. So from day one since the fall, Until Christ comes again, the old covenant people in the church, the new covenant people, we are called to this great task of doing missions. May God give us the grace each to say today, I'll do it. If I can't go, I'll send. If I can't go, I'll give. But I will be involved, everyone without exception. We have a $90,000 goal this month, church. Monique's counting on us meeting that goal. More than that, or so other missionaries that we already support. If you haven't been praying, pray. God help me to give so others may go, and here am I. Send me. Ready to read the word? I know you're ready to sit back down. Give it a second here as we read. Follow along. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for... What's the next word? Us. us the triune God is involved in missions. Who will go for us, the Trinity? Then I said, and read it together with me, choir... Here I am, send me. Now let's help Larry read it right. You ready one more time? Here am I, send me. Join me in that prayer. My father, one more time in my life, I say to you again, Here am I, send me. And give grace to every person here who knows you, who has been saved by your grace, who has been freed from that iniquity, that sin, that's so enslaved. Father, give to everyone here the grace to say again, at the end of this study, here am I, send me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to see the flow of the verses that we just read. The call didn't come to Isaiah until first he had seen the Lord. Isaiah saw God, and the first verse says, In the year that King Uzziah died. Just a little trivia here. Uzziah was one of the longest reigning kings that Israel ever had. He reigned for 50 years. Two years. Most of those years he did well. He was a king that feared God and he led Israel to fear God. But toward the end of his reign, he had so failed God and so failed God's covenant people that he died under the disciplining hand of the Lord. God made it clear. God gave him leprosy and he died that slow, painful flesh-eating death because he didn't finish well. And it's at that point that Isaiah, who had known previous kings, Isaiah looked at this guy, uh, this king Uzziah, and said, is, in essence, I think he's saying in his heart, is there not a king who will remain true forever? From the beginning to the end of his reign, is there not a king? Who will wholly be true to God. By the way, when Uzziah's reign ended, there was not another successful king of Israel. And to this day, it remains the same. There were five kingdoms that overthrew Israel, and they remained captive true until the king of kings himself came. They were captive, let me see if I can name them, to Assyria, and Babylonia, and Persia, and Greece, and Rome. And then comes Christ, the King of Kings. And he's the one who Isaiah saw long before he came. Is there not a king whose throne will not fall, who himself will remain true? And he says, I saw the Lord. And watch this. Sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple. That's when he saw the Lord Jesus on the throne in essence. A king whose throne would never be overthrown. Isn't that cool? Real quickly. You sat on the throne. I've done this with you before and I've done it often in every church I've ever pastored. I don't think I'll ever stop doing it. I've asked you to look up and ask, what do you see? Some black ceiling and beams. Yeah, but above that, what do you see? Well, the realm of the birds where they fly. Above that, what do you see? Well, this is Michigan. There are clouds. And above that, what do you see? realm of the stars and above that what do you see I cannot see but by the pages of holy writ I can by faith look above the stars and know there is a temple in a holy city and in that holy city and in that holy temple above all there is a throne and one who sits upon it Isaiah saw that throne. Now Isaiah tells us, he lets us in on this little secret. The shuel, that is the robe with its long train that belongs to the one who sits upon that throne, covers the temple and covers heaven and covers all that is beneath it, including this universe and this round terrestrial ball. That's how big that shuel is. The whole point of that is it may seem to you, Isaiah, like no king, even Uzziah, didn't make it. No king on this earth will ever perfectly rule, but there is one who will and who does. It's the king of kings and the Lord of Lord Jesus Christ. As he rules from his throne, The seraphim are saying each to the other unceasingly, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Hear me. If you saw what Isaiah saw, you would understand why he calls him the holy Lord of hosts. Some 80 some times in this great prophetic book, Isaiah, he saw the Holy Lord above all, who's in control of all creation. No wonder the next thing out of his lips was a description of himself when he saw himself next to that holy God and he said, woe is me and anytime you hear the word woe in the bible you know it's time to stop and listen up because it's a, an expression of sorrow and grief the most intense that the bible in the old testament and christ in the new testament in the sermon on the mount used as well and that expression woe grief sorrow overwhelms me is there any hope for me for next to the God who is holy that I just saw, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You know what dawned on me? Isaiah is not the only one. There are a couple of others throughout Scripture who took the weight of the sin of the whole and owned it as his own. Paul did that. When his heart cried to God was, I wish I could be a curse. Could take the weight of the sin of my own people Israel. And bear the weight of that for eternity for them. That they might be saved. That's a mission's heart, right? Hello, Right? like I would own it for them if I could. Nehemiah did the same thing. In the Old Testament, he's weeping and discouraged and despondent before the king. The king said, man, my cupbearer, cupbearer, what's bugging you? And he said, my city, the city of my people is in ruins. And the people are in disgrace, and he owned that ruinness, and he owned that disgrace as his own. And from that point on, he became, if you will, that missionary that moved out to rid his people of their disgrace—a disgrace that he owned himself. And Isaiah is doing the same thing here. I know he was a man born to woman, full of sin himself. But Isaiah had done nothing to deserve what Uzziah got and what the people of Israel deserved when they turned to other gods. Isaiah owned their sin as his own and said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Have you learned to do that? To own the way? as your owner, to the point that you're ready to say, oh God, can you use me? Can you clean me up enough to be used to bring a people back to yourself? It's the mission call. Isaiah then, at that moment, When he owned the weight of all Israel at that moment, he experienced grace from above. And you and I read over it, and it's like we don't get it. My beloved, one of the seraphim, from near the throne where he was in that temple, at the altar where the sacrifice is made for the sin of people, at that altar he took tongs, where the sacrifice was burnt, he took tongs and picked up a flaming coal and brought it to the man who said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips, the man who owned the weight of all the sin of Israel. He took those tongs and that coal and touched the tongue, the lips, Of that man broken by his own sin and the sin of his people. And then he made this announcement. Your iniquity is taken away. And your sin, the seraphim, the angel said, your sin is purged. You'd do that for me, holy God, on the throne. You'd send one to touch my lips and my heart and take my sin and iniquity and remove it from me as far as the east is from the west, and you would do that for the people to whom you were calling me? I've already done that from our perspective. On the other side, God would say, Taken your sin away because the lamb has been sacrificed and suffered under the fire of my judgment so that now all who will believe will have their lips touched their hearts forever cleansed the righteousness of God replacing in us the iniquity that we are born with you ever get tired of hearing that story What a great message and truth. We are excited about it. (laughs) Oh, church. What a holy experience Isaiah had when the sacrifice touched him. Then came the call and his response. He volunteered, who will go? And he said, here am I. Send me. I was a freshman in high school when I first said that to my God. It was at a camp. I heard a missionary speaker at that camp. At the end of it, I went, melted front and I said, here I am, Lord. Send me. In those next few weeks, I became the most intimidated high schooler you could ever know. I was afraid to go up to a McDonald's cashier and order french fries because I couldn't talk to somebody i and I began to study the book. Wondering, can God really use me? I think he's called me. Can he use me? And I remembered some of those old stories that my mom taught me. Like, uh, remember that little boy? All he had was a sack lunch. And the Lord blessed him. He dispersed the lunch and fed 5,000 people. Remember that stuttering man in the Old Testament that was to help bring in the mission work the um, two million people probably out of bondage in Egypt? Could you use a stammering, stuttering guy? Oh yeah, Moses became a great deliverer for the people God called him to and sent him to. And then I remember a dumb donkey. And that donkey spoke to a prophet, a wayward prophet, and said, You're going where God hasn't given. And it dawned on me in my high school years that God can use a lad's lunch, a stammering, stuttering man, and a dumb donkey. God could use this country boy to talk to people about his truth and his word. And I had the courage to keep saying, here and about first and foremost them out there. It's about a heart that has experienced the grace of God in here and being willing to say if you want me, I'll go. I'll go. Your turn. Can you believe it? 23 minutes into this and Larry's saying so. Here's the silver. I know. No, those who have experienced grace. Now, look, look up, church, would you? Those who have experienced grace. What's the last word in this sentence? has touched your sinful heart and made it pure and clean and white as snow and free from the consequences of that sin. You just can't say anything else but here am I. Send me. Those who have been genuinely touched by the coal from the fire, by God above, by the sacrifice of his son who paid his price for you. You cannot say anything but I will go. Here am I. Send me. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing a song about I'm an offering. I give myself to you. My friend, if you don't know anything about what we've talked about, your guests here or even those who may even be on the church roles it's not about being a member of this church right? right? Right. our hope is not in HBC our hope is in the sacrifice that was made we'd love to introduce you to him and invite you to come as we give ourselves in a fresh way to go and uh, I'm going to go down I'm going to grab my wife by the hand and we're going to say together. Here am I. Send me. Listen carefully. may not be the Columbia or Nicaragua. may not be the South Africa or the Congo. It starts in Jerusalem. It starts in Kentwood, in Grand Rapids, whatever city you, you live in, Byron Center in Caledonia. Larry's been here too long, hasn't he? He knows the <laughs> names of the city listen, it starts here. You can at least say, here am I. Send me to my town today. I will go owning the weight that others have on them. Do business with God, and if you want to join us in this, I'm not pressing if it's something you have a sense God is following you.